She's a real woman with a real life. She's someone you can relate to. Dawn Newton. I'm your host, Don Newton. My guest today is a former commercial real estate broker. He's worked in the real estate mortgage industry since 1992. His name is D. Sidney Potter. Sidney is here to discuss his new memoir, The Broker. Deals, Steals, and Moving Forward. Sydney joins me today to share some entertaining stories about his career as a commercial real estate broker working in downtown Los Angeles in the mid-90s. The broker should be required reading for any new broker or anyone wondering if they're cut out to be one in the future. D. Sydney Potter, it's great to talk with you. You're a former commercial real estate broker with quite a, quite a history in, in real estate, commercial politics even, um, I would say race and race relations. You, you kind of cover all of these uh, facets and you're joining us today to talk about your book, The Broker, Deals, Deals and Moving Forward. This is a memoir of yours. It, it, it is. Don Newton, thanks for your time. It, third installment, and I didn't know it in, uh, in this way, of uh, three books that I've written the last 10 years to flip the essays. And The Broker, I actually wrote this initially first in 2008. It was a real estate crash. I obviously had a lot of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I had a lot of free time as well, and uh, I was sitting in my home out in uh, Phoenix, Arizona at a Del Webb uh, Polte development, and I said, what can I write about? And let me go to brokerage, because I had a great five-year run in, in the mid-90s, um, running for Rookie of the Year, and I came from a real estate, I'm from a real estate family on both sides of the family, my father being a black American, my mother an Italian Jew out of New Haven, Connecticut, father uh, went to Yale. Uh, and I said, there's some interesting stuff here. Uh, but then it was a crash, so I wrote the flip first. So I put this on the shelf for about 12 years, took it off about a year ago, and finally went to publication with it. And it's just, I think, a treasure trove of interesting stories from someone, at least a perspective, of someone who grew up in a uh, mixed household in terms of religiosity connected to my mother's side, uh, the Kaufmans, and my father's side um, uh, being black Americans. And um, my father's selling real estate in South Central Los Angeles and kind of melded that into my experiences at Marcus and Millichap in downtown Los Angeles. So that's what that, that, that was the genesis of the broker. Well, it's interesting, too, how we think about real estate, commercial investments, mortgage. Mm-hmm. There is so much to each and every one of those. And the length of time that you've been involved in it from the early 90s, even today, is speaking about it. Mm. You've seen that pendulum swing so many different ways and realizing how this, as I like to call it, how that game works. Mm-hmm. What was like your biggest takeaway during this time that maybe you've, especially in your memoir, how, I guess, your takeaway from it all? is there Was there kind of like a final kind of summation of, of that whole industry and your experiences. It is cyclical, that's, that's for certain. There is a yin and yang. You, it's in, you sometimes find that commercial real estate brokerage tells uh, residential and, and vice versa. At the time, I had gotten out of brokerage uh, a good five-year run 2001. I slipped into residential where there was more money to be made as a result of having the accidental foresight to, to start buying uh, track homes in uh, Arizona, California, Nevada. 
um, real estate commercial eventually rebounded. I do find, just to move around here a little bit, Don, that at least the commercial brokers and the residential realtors tend to have the most uh, versatility, viability, survivability if they're able to anticipate market moves, meaning that if you are a commercial guy and you're selling and you see a downturn and the transaction times, the escrow times are becoming more elongated, it might be best to uh, start leasing, okay, or, or really work the disposition side when folks start to sell or the owners start to sell. Residential, they tend to slip into a different mode if they don't have a good book of business, for example. There are other ways that you can anticipate and foment um, income streams on both the residential and the commercial side. Uh, so, you know, to answer your question directly, uh, there is a way to, uh, to play that game and to ride the slopes correctly and, and, and to know when to get out and pivot to different type of income flows in your respected niche. Are you still active in real estate today? I, I still maintain a license uh, with uh, Arizona. I've uh, 15 years now. I've been licensed in three different states between California, uh, Arizona, and Nevada. Last 25 years, I did Nevada when I was buying because it, you're able to uh, preserve your commission if you list the property yourself. And you needed to, even as a principal owner of a piece of property, there are advantages to having a license. So yes, still would be an active practitioner. You, you've got, I would say, maybe quite a bit of legal experience too. <laughs> you've had some interesting legal situations that have come up that you've prevailed in and, and self-represented yourself. Well, there, there's funny you should ask that. You know, when I was doing research uh, for the for the broker, I I knew that my my maternal side of the family was real estate, but I did not know that my grandfather, uh, great-grandfather, was a, almost like a self-litigator himself, being a non-lawyer. And he brought a case all the way up to the uh, Connecticut Supreme Court on a commission he didn't pay. He, he owned a brokerage. And, and there may have been a legitimate reason not to have paid the commission. It could have been a barter-type situation where you're representing someone uh, in exchange for goods and services. I, I haven't read the case file. But it's very unusual not to pay a commission and, and uh, a client haul you all the way to the Supreme Court of Connecticut. I've had situations where I've engaged lawyers and represented myself in pro per. That's what they'd call that past 15 plus years. It is a situation where some psychosomatic, psychometric profiles of certain people uh, leave a stone not unturned. There's situations where you can walk away with, which I would recommend highly, and there's situations where there might be some upside where you'd want to take care or at least opportunize a crisis. And I've, I've been able to do that on a very low level and a very high level, uh, going to Ninth Court of Appeals in California, being victorious against the IRS, uh, which is very unusual when you represent yourself, having some, I would say, pirate victories and monetary victories against some Fortune 500 uh, size companies with and without lawyers. One of the cases I had was denied on Saturia, against, which most cases are, unless it's fast-tracked uh, to the U.S. Supreme Court, and that was an issue with a very large university. I've never been successfully sued, which I think speaks a lot to anyone that does self-litigate with and without lawyers, since that tends to be a litmus test on whether or not your cases are frivolous or whether or not they really have some substantiability to them. I will only go after those. Usually on a contract dispute, a vendor dispute or maybe a property um, situation where there's a specific performance where one of the properties you're acquiring decides not to sell to you and there's a law 
or at least a theory out there called specific performance that you can sue upon, which requires the other uh, litigant or used typically the defendant to uh, proceed with the sale of the property or to give the property forthwith. So it's it's worked to my to, to my advantage. It's not everyone's cup of tea, um, but so far it's uh, ultimately I've learned that the pen is mightier than the sword, and it works for me. Real estate, whether it's commercial, residential, developing, mm-hmm. it is it's an animal all by itself. You're mm-hmm. you know an independent broker, independent broker owner. It it's it's not. Uh, for the faint of heart. Right. <laughs> you beat me to the punchline. Uh, okay. It's a, it's a testament to who, who you are as an individual, and, and mm. you learned a lot about yourself. You do, and you always do. I, I, I think there's an old uh, proverb that was written on the walls of Delphia, excuse me, and that, and that was when they were burning the cities, uh, to know thyself. And I find a lot of real estate people or anyone who's in a job that's got a lot of psychological variability to it, that you become very in tune to to what's worth fighting for, what's worth walking away from, and having just an acute sense of self-awareness, and knowing your strengths and weaknesses and opportunities and stress. In B-School, that's what they call SWOT analysis, strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And like I had mentioned earlier, Don, when to opportunize crisis situation. It was Ron Emanuel out of the Obama administration that brought that phrase to popularity about 20 years ago when to take advantage of a crisis situation. So if you see a little bit of sunlight there and some leverage and you do a little game theory analysis and it makes sense to go forward, a lot of real estate professionals are in those type of situational scenarios and can be very good decision makers. Well, being raised also, raised in a biracial home, black Christian father, Italian mm-hmm. Jewish mother. Your book, you you talk about race and how that, maybe there were some barriers, some prejudice. Tell us more about that. There, there is a, uh, actually this story did not make it in, in, into the book. I, I, I talked about it in the interview. And there was a, uh, about mid-70s, 74, Pratty Hearst, SLL, a quasi-terrorist group uh, in the 70s, American domestic-based, had a Patty Hearst, had a striking resemblance to my mother. Growing up in Southern California, uh, we were driving in Beverly Hills, my father, three siblings, my mother, pulled over by the cops, uh, LAPD. This is like the dragnet days where they've got the big cars and whatnot. <laughs> Along Wilshire Boulevard, anyone in Southern California know Wilshire Boulevard is a pretty pricey place. That was my first indoctrination, indoctrination pardon me, into black men as viewed by white America. Even for uh, Southern California uh, white cops, uh, it, it wasn't too pretty of a situation to be a black man, especially with a car full of biracial kid it was a wasn't well, you know it may have been a stop and frisk before there was stop and frisk but it's something that i remember okay and uh the tone and the voice of 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 the cops there's a duality there in terms of, of coming from a household like that i had a set of relatives west los angeles my mother's side and the other set of relatives in south central los angeles and i still have some relatives in south central los angeles and it's by choice too south central is not what you you think it is uh, it just depends what part it is I've lived in Brooklyn, and Brooklyn is not, they've got million, $2 million three-story walk-ups. So um, having that duality of relatives uh, that you're blood-related to in different parts of the town was interesting to my father's side of the family. There is no, because they had their own lives to be concerned about, and there was lots of aunts and uncles. It wasn't as if it were a climatic point where they were concerned about it, but they knew that the relations were a bit rough, so we got shuttled around in a positive way in terms of knowing my mother's side of the family. 
uh, but it was primarily my father's side of the family. But fortunately, there was no open hostility. You just knew that both sides of the family had opinions about the current state of affairs. And it, culturally, it was enriching. So, uh, you know, there, there, my, in fact, my brother, Sean, my eldest brother, uh, ended up going to um, the high school of our uncle on my mother's side by referral. So there was just cross-hybridization in terms of cultural experiences, okay, and relationships there. But I would say because of the relationship race relationships, and you have to think of uh, laws that existed in the country in the 60s, it was still illegal for at least a third of the states to have a biracial marriage between a white woman and a, and a black man. If you look Love versus Mississippi, I think it was, that was a critical case in about 1963 or 62. So yes, there was some tension down there, but um, I don't think it was as bad as it could have been, but it was certainly more dynamic than your average household, I would think. Did you experience any of that during your business and your time in real estate? Well, I, I did by first observation of, of my father, commercial real estate broker, uh, 28 plus years in primarily South Central Los Angeles, because he sold a lot of real estate on, in West Los Angeles, or I had clients. So there were some very intense moments uh, that were fairly ugly between uh, white angle brokers in West Los Angeles and my father. There's several that refused to pay commission and it got pretty intense you know because it's 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 a moment of truth or at least not necessarily truth per se but but what you're going to do are you are you going to respond you know so my father has to make a decision is he going to respond violently or is he going to take care of this legally or is he, is he going to use his negotiation skills to talk to more decision makers to make certain that that it's a equitable uh, distribution of commissions. Now, that can, you know, commission disputes, i.e., uh, grandfather, great-grandfather, who ran uh, a brokerage for 60 years, New York, Miami, and New Haven, Connecticut, had a case uh, uh, as an Anglo-Saxon European that went to the Supreme Court of Connecticut. So everyone has that, uh, those type of disputes. But when you're dealing with a part of society in terms of the ethnic group that doesn't have as many resources or leverage to uh, make things happen in terms of uh, an equitable distribution of commissions, for example, you can see how that can, can turn very dire. Fortunately, my father was a different type of guy. This was, a, at the time, I think he's a registered independent at the time, he was a registered Republican, very unusual for a black man even today. <laughs> to be a registered Republican. <laughs> and I think that was primarily business. My mother was totally opposite, uh, Democrat. But he was able to take care of it, uh, uh, Don, in a good way and get paid typically most of the times. But there'd be some situations where things would get pretty intense. And like I talk about in the broker, we had two houses at one time. So we saw the ebb and web and flow of uh, the success and then the, uh, the downturn and the flat periods as well. So I learned a lot by observation there. Cindy, who do you want reading your book, The Broker? I was asked that question uh, the other day very quickly, and I said, you know, it depends what age you are. I think if you're thinking about a career, maybe you're not going to go to an Ivy League, which is typically what you have to do if you want to be a hedge fund analyst, if you want to go for Goldman Sachs and work on Wall Street. That's typically the pedigree you have to have. The great thing about commercial brokerage or residential, it's got a low barrier of entry in terms of just getting licensed. And then if you're incredibly motivated and you're 16, 17, 18 years old, I think it's a good book because there's a lot of good stories in there. And you get to observe on the type of money and maybe even more importantly, the type of success, inner fulfillment success you have of doing something and being very good at it. I think if you're a little bit 30 to 40 years older, and you just want a good read to see, gee whiz, I wonder how these guys did it in commercial brokers like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, where you've got primarily a, 
a male-dominated industry that might be chauvinistic how, and less chauvinistic today? How do they deal with each other in a cutthroat environment? You'd like to perhaps see a first-person perspective so your take on it might be a little bit different and it might be enjoyable reading. And if you were entering the real estate game today, yeah. especially after all you've seen and experienced, I mean, it's been there's been a lot that has happened since the 90s. Right. And then looking at where we are today, I mean, real estate right now is, is absolutely insane. Would you enter it again? <laughs> or, hmm. And um, what would you do differently or how would you approach it this, this time? Yeah, I think... I think if I entered it again, and that's an inquisitive question, um, well, definitely, I'm not an old dog because I can definitely learn new tricks. <laughs> okay? I work in mortgage operations today. I'm usually on six or seven, eight different systems at a time. I, I think I would be more of a player coach. Okay? I think the analogy, and this is, this is by no means is there a comparison here, but I think if you, someone were a Roger Pinsky of Pinsky Racing who is beyond his racing days, per se, but owns a team, and he knows where his skill sets are, that he wouldn't, probably couldn't fit, uh, and, and I don't mean that as a derogatory comment, into the cockpit of one of those Indy 500 cars, but he knows where his skill sets are. I think that I would probably go back in a manager-broker capacity, because you have to have a certain mindset, a certain thirst, to really go out there and kick butt and do what it takes to do commercial brokerage. It's, it's, it really is, in a way, uh, a young man's game. But I was, uh, you know, I get periodicals from C.B. Richard Ellis, which is a big commercial brokerage, and other newsletters. I read a statistic the other day, the average commercialistic practitioner, and I don't know if this combined commercial brokers and management, but the average is 57, which is right around my age, about a year or two older. And it is a young man's game. I think I would not get into it only in a broker ownership capacity, and typically those guys that make it that long are in their mid-50s, have been in it, got in it in their late 30s, which uh, are late 20s. I got in it, first year was 31 years of age and got out at 36. That's about the median age typically that you get into it, but I would probably not have the mindset, Don, to ask your question directly to get directly back on the playing field. And when you look back and, you know, just reading your own memoir, kind of stepping outside of it, what, what stands out to you the most about your time and, and what you t- your takeaway from your own book? I, I'll answer this question this way. <laughs> you know, before you go to publication on a book, it's usually advisable, not only for something as mundane as grammatical errors, but to reread it, okay, to get a sense of, of the flow. I would say, well, here, here, I think, I don't want to attribute a quote I, I'm not responsible for, but I, 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 I said, hurry slowly, quote, unquote. I think that's a thematic that I got from Nuts to Balls, Cradle to Grave, from um, probably the last 30 years. You know, there's been a, people typically have an iteration in their career, a reiteration of their career, that where that whatever path they go on to seems, seems to be related, which is fine. You know, you can have two or three or four careers between 18 to uh, early 60s, and that's perfectly fine. It's not frowned upon. So I w- would say what I, what, what I look at, if I look at it from a third person, as you suggested, Don, is that, gee whiz, this guy hustles, he moves around in a good way and, and keeps a lot of vitality, going, you know, pivoting from brokerage to having a five- to seven-year good run on commercial brokerage and then going through brokerage operations that you always want to keep moving forward. And that doesn't always happen. You know, I, I think you want to, the polemic, the parable, the sloganism that you should have the ability to look around corners because not everyone has that fifth perception. Anticipation is, is nine-tenths of almost everything that you really want to make certain that you're going in a forward direction, not trip up on yourself. And if you do, dust yourself and keep moving. So I, I think that's, that would probably be the takeaway. Thanks for asking that question. I never thought of it that way. 
that's the way I'd look at it. Well, no, I, I like what you said when you said hurry slowly. I, I think that does summarize real estate. Yeah. You know, it's baptism by fire is another one that gets, <laughs> that gets yeah. brought up. Because it's not something that you can fast track. You need to get that experience, the Mm -hmm. wisdom. You need to, you know, scuff up your knees a little bit and maybe drink a little glass of humility every now and then. Yeah, it's an interesting field that can be very rewarding, very maddening. But um, the hustle is real. There's no doubt about that. I like that. Yeah, the hustle is real. Where can we find the book and where can we learn more about you? All retail sites. uh, There's a big kahuna there, Amazon and uh, related sites. It's on everything. Uh, Goodreads, etc. Uh, you know, if if you punch in uh, D. Sidney Potter, something's going to come up in terms of, well, you won't see any book signings this year because publishers aren't really doing that for very obvious reasons. But typically anything that is being done working on, on, on another book or um, giving a seminar or an interview, yeah, you can find that online. Search engines do it for you. But thanks for asking that. I appreciate this time. Appreciate you sharing your story. I mean, that's that's uh, only you can tell it. Allowing us to be the you. conduit. Well, again, I appreciate your time. Again, the book, the broker, deal steals and moving forward. This is your memoir, D. Sydney Potter. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. Have a super day. Hey, thanks for listening to the Don Newton podcast, and a special thank you to D. Sydney Potter joining us today to discuss his memoir, The Broker. The Broker can be found wherever books are sold, and be sure and check out my website, donnewton.org. The Don Newton podcast is written, produced, and hosted by Don Newton. Oh,